the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Continuing our tradition of having our, some of our blessed servants giving the sermon during the Holy Week, Sam Akkadis will be uh, giving the talk today. Thank you. So, a pretty eventful day. Um, Christ and his disciple having dinner together at the uh, in Jerusalem, you know, we were from Galilee. Happened to be in Jerusalem during the feast day, so they decided, or Christ decided to have dinner together, and he chose the house of Saint Mark, our Saint Mark, that was his mother's house that he had dinner at. And there, Christ established the Eucharist, he washed their feet, and after they went to the garden where Christ was praying and he asked his disciples to come and spend some time with him and we know that they were they were felt sleepy Judas came with the soldiers and they tried to be in St. John sorry St. Peter attacked the servant of the high priest when he cut off his ear Christ healed it a lot of events took place on that night and if we look at it from Christ's point of view there are a lot of disappointing behavior there there is no shortage of disappointing behavior. So first of all, at dinner time, the disciples are arguing among each other who is the greatest. And Christ might be looking at them and saying, I mean, we've already settled this. This was not the first time this came up. We already settled that. They went to the garden. He's asking them, outright asking them, can't you guys spend with me just one more hour? They're still, they were still asleep. Likely they had a pretty heavy dinner with wine. So... They were sleepy. Judas comes. And that's another another disappointing behavior or an ungrateful behavior. Like Christ has shown nothing to these people except love and care. And then he brings the soldiers and identify Christ in front of them, telling them here is the one that you need to arrest. Christ has been very kind to him, and he even gave him a chance at dinner to change his ways. And until the last moment of betrayal, he's, call, he's still calling him friends. And then we know that St. Peter pulled his sword, attacked the servant of the high priest, cut off his ear, and Christ was not really impressed by that either. He basically told him, do you think I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? He's basically telling him, like, have you learned anything over the last three years? Is this how we deal with things? We pull out sword. Like, Remember, Peter saw Christ perform countless miracles. He, he saw him raise dead people. He didn't think that Christ cannot deal with this. But like Christ said, because we have to fulfill the prophecies. This has to happen this way. You should not be acting this way. And of course, we know that later on, Peter denied him three times. The uh, gospel tells us that all the disciples forsook him and fled. Even some Mark who had dinner in his house a few hours ago, when they grabbed him, he let go of his cloth and he ran naked because he didn't want to be associated with him. And at the end, I think this is the icing on the cake, the Jews went, and one and said that he should be he, sh he should be the one crucified and remember these are the people that christ fed and healed their sick and he was he did countless endless miracles to these people but at the end of the day they were still not grateful so there is this trend of ungrateful 
a disappointing behavior that Christ encountered. Like if you look at it from Christ's point of view. But at the end of the day, Christ never really hesitated to continue his plan of salvation. He never really stopped and th to think, well, these people do not really deserve it or these people are not worthy of it. No, he just went through with it. And if you go back to the Gospels of the, um, of the Sunday Gospels of the Great Land, we see the same exact pattern. For example, the father and the prodigal son, the son said, I'm leaving. That never changed his father's law. Like he's clearly a, a good and loving father. The son being ungrateful and he effectively told him to me like you're dead. I'm taking, I'm taking my inheritance and leaving. That never changed his father's law. Just imagine for a minute the father telling him on his way out, you know what? You step out of this door, you don't come back. What would have happened? That kid would have been gone forever. But he knew that he still loved. So for the father's love never changed. And then the following reading, the following Sunday, when we read the Samaritan woman, she's a woman very likely despised by her society for her, for her sinful lifestyle. She's even at the well at noon just to make sure that she's not going to run into anybody. And we know from the conversation that St. John recorded, she, she was pretty aggressive. Like her first responses were stuff like, how is it you, a Jew, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. And next, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? And she's asking outright, do you think you're greater than our father Jacob? So Christ walked for hours to get to her, and she's being very aggressive to him. Christ didn't say like, something like, oh, here we go, and this is not really working out, I shouldn't have done that. He was extremely patient, and we don't know if there is more discussion that St. John did not record, but we know that at the end, she became a saint in the church, and a monk. So had Christ given up on her early on, that wouldn't have happened. The same thing with like the, the prodigal son. If the father gave up on him and said, I don't want to see you again, the son would have never came back. Same thing with the paralytic. When Christ asked him, do you, do you want to be made well? The man's simple mind thinks that there is the only way he can get healed is by getting into the pool. But as we all know, God has plans that, we're not, that we don't even comprehend. Like Christ had a totally different plan to heal him. And he effectively gave an answer, what do you think? I mean, I've been sitting here for 38 years. I have nobody. We don't know where his family is, but we know that his being in this state had something to do with some sinful behavior in the past, because Christ told him at the end, do not sin again. But Christ overlooked all of this. He still went through and he healed him. Same thing with the man born blind. Very ungrateful parents. Everybody's against him, but he still went through the, uh, he healed the man. He went and looked for him at the, uh, at the temple later on. So we see this trend all along. As a matter of fact, we see that also, we see that trend also in the, uh, in the Old Testament. Actually, there are a lot of stories, like even in, uh, in Luke 1, when the angel came to sin, who came to Zacharias and told him that 
um, you'll uh, you'll be the father of St. John the Baptist. And he he doubted him. The angel never said, you know what? Never mind. You don't deserve that. No. God had the plan and he continues that plan. And this morning when we read Sarah, Sarah the same thing. Sarah left in her heart, but still God did not take that blessing from her. Another question is, why is that? Why does God act like that? And the answer is, is clear, because God is all goodness. God is just goodness and love. There is nothing else, whether we understand or we don't, anything God does to us is, is good. So his love is, un is unconditional. It does not depend on our reaction, whether we appreciate it or not, whether we're grateful or not. It doesn't matter. God just loves. His love is, is, is covenant love, unconditional. It's covenant love from him. The Bunapshoi Camel has a book, or it's a small book called The Journey from uh, Jerusalem to Golgotha. And he explains this point nicely. So, when Christ dipped the bread and gave it to Judas, and I'm quoting St. John here, having received the piece of bread, then he went, he, that's Judas, he went out immediately, and it was night. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified. So imagine this, he gave him the bread, dipped the bread, gave it to him, Judas left, Christ right away said, the Son of Man is, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. What does Abun Abshoi tell us here? And now I'm quoting Abun Abshoi. He said, Jesus was not only glorified on the cross or in his resurrection, but when he washed the feet of the disciple who betrayed him, and when he fed that disciple with his pure hands, true glory is the fulfillment of the duty of love to the end. So this is when God is glorified, when he carries that duty of love to the end. And in the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount, Christ reminds us of that when he says, God makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the, the unjust. So when the sun rises, God does not say, okay, these are righteous, these are good people and let them enjoy the light and the warmth of the sun, but these are evil people, let them stay in the dark. No? The sun rises for everybody. God does not discriminate in his love. And we also, we at the church, follow that example. Like in the litanies, the church prays for the air of the heaven, the fruits of the earth, the trees, the vines, and every fruit-bearing tree. The church does not say the fruits that belong to the righteous people or the vines that belong to your people. No, we pray for everybody. Um, even in a few minutes, we'll hear Abuna is going to lead, lead us in prayer in the evening, later, in the evening um, litanies. Said, spare the world, the whole world, not your people, not your, not the righteous people, from death, scarcity, plagues, devastation, the sword of the enemy, earthquakes, horror, and all fearsome events. So, what does that, what does that practically mean for us? So, we know that God is, is all good. God, God's love is covenant love. God's love does not change. Practically, what does that mean? First thing, there is always hope. No matter how bad we think we've gone or how far we went astray, there is always hope. The enemy will try to tell us that or convince us that God is really upset 
with us right now. Look where you are. Aren't you ashamed? Do you really dare to stand in front of God? But the fact is, this is a trap from the enemy. God is waiting. And remember the, the example of the, of the prodigal son. The father was waiting for the son to come back. He wanted him to come back. St. John Chrysostom tells us, these are his words, pay attention carefully. After the sin comes the shame. Courage follows repentance. This is the way it should be. When I sin, I should be ashamed. But then courage follows repentance. Satan upsets the order. Satan gives the courage to sin and shame to repentance. So no matter how far we've gone, no matter how things have gone, God's love does not change. But there is one condition. We have to do something. Right? We have to take a step. And no matter how insignificant or how small that step is, it's good enough. God will take it. Like the prodigal son returned. He came back. When the prodigal son came back, he came back in all his filth, in his, his stench. I mean, just imagine that guy living in a pig pen coming back. The father did not even wait for him to enter the door. No, he went out at a great distance. St. Luke is very, like he captures it very nice. He said when he was still at a great, great way off, like, was still very far. He ran to him to get him. It doesn't matter if he came dirty or smelling bad. His father cleaned him up. The point is just to come back. The same thing with the Samaritan woman. What did she do? She asked for the water. And that was good enough for God. The same thing with the paralytic man. What did he obey? He obeyed the commandment that did not seem by our standards, by our human standards, very reasonable. I mean, imagine he's telling Christ, I've been sitting here for 38 years and I can't move. Christ tells him, get up and carry your bed. He obeyed. I mean, I think I would have said something like, seriously, I'm telling you I'm sitting here for 38 years and you're asking me to get up. But he did. He, he got up and he obeyed. So we have to do something. Like, and that something is small. And no matter how late it is, it is never late for God. And the ultimate example we'll see is tomorrow with the uh, right, hand, right hand thief. The right-hand thief, or the thief on the right, by human standards, there, there is no hope for this man. I mean, the guy is, the guy is a goner. I mean, a career criminal, drenched in his blood, hanging on a cross in his last minutes on earth. By our standards, there is no hope for this man. But God works with God. He, he took a step, and it was enough. God loved it. Christ loved his reality. Loved it. So there is always hope. There is never, no matter how late, no matter how things have gone bad, God's love does not change and God will take anybody. The second thing that we learn from this is that we are expected, no, we're not expected, actually, we are demanded to be, to take the, uh, the image and the example of Christ in the world like i mean look around you and i mean this world is getting to be a godless i mean it's getting to be godless by the day we have a commandment to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world that's a commandment that we're asked to do that because if you act like everybody else if we 
behave like everybody else, if we talk like everybody else, how would people know that? How would people get to know Christ in this case? There is a commandment that says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Meaning, it's not that you should get praise of your said, oh, these people are really nice, these people are really polite. Of course, we have to be nice and polite and honest and everything. But the call is to be above that. The call is to be the light in the middle of darkness. And St. John Chrysostom also says, there would be no more pagans if we were true Christians. Had we been true Christians, there would be no more pagans. So, first point, there is always hope. God's love never changes. God's love is covenant love. It will never change, no matter how badly we react toward this love. The second point, this is the example to live by. And again, I'd like to close by a quote by Father Trifon. He's the abbot of an Eastern Orthodox monastery in Seattle. I mean, many of you have heard me quote him before. I had the blessing of meeting him many times. Very blessed man. Father Trifon tells us this. If others do not see in us a forgiving heart, how will they know that there is a forgiveness in Christ? If others do not see in us a heart filled with joy, how would they know that they need the very Christ whom we proclaim as, as our God and Savior? If others see in us or see in us a judgmental, narrow-minded, unhappy people, why would they be drawn to the orthodoxy we claim to be the true, the true faith? Others cannot know they need Christ if they do not see him in us. They do not know that Christ fills the hearts and transforms lives if they do not see transformation in us. If we are fearful, angry, judgmental, arrogant, or aloof, the world will see nothing in our Orthodox Christian faith worth seeking. Very um, awakening words. So, may God grant us to always recognize His love, always recognize His mercy, and grant us to be the light of the world, and to him be glory forever. Amen.